Hello, and welcome to The Blueprint, lifestyle design podcast, unpacking and applying creative design principles to help you live your maximized life. And now, ready to help you design and build your ultimate awesome future, here's your host, Andrew Lord. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to The Blueprint. Today, we are talking with someone very, very special, Annabelle Chauncey, who is a dynamic leader. She's a social entrepreneur, a winner of the prestigious Order of Australia medal. She started a multinational NGO from scratch at the age of just 21 and now has operations in both Australia and Uganda. Over the past 10 years through her foundation School for Life, she's built a team of more than 120 staff. She's built three schools in rural Uganda that provide quality education to around 1,000 students and a community outreach to more than 2,000 people. Now, I think that Annabelle really embodies the two things that we love to talk about here on The Blueprint. And that is, of course, you know, what does success look like and how do we get there? And how can you scale your impact to the world through the power of education? Right? She knows what it takes to drive effective change and sustain it. Her schools have grown 50 to 100% every single year since inception. And she's developed a national brand that engages thousands of supporters, which have collectively raised more than $6 million in just five years. So she's an amazing woman, and I'm so happy to be talking with her here today and learning more about how she did it here on The Blueprint. So Annabelle, welcome to The Blueprint. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thanks for having me. You're an incredible person, Annabelle. You're someone who's built an incredible social enterprise, but also someone who's having an amazing impact in the world. Uh, and we're going to get to all of that soon. But before we do that, can you give us a little bit of your background? Like what was it like for you growing up? Just yeah. what made you, you? Yeah. Oh, look, I'm a country girl. I grew up on a sheep and cattle farm in New South Wales. So about yeah. two and a half hours south of Sydney uh, on 2000 acres of land. I've yeah. um, got two big brothers who used to push me around and tell me what to do a little bit. And um, I guess I had what you describe as a very amazing, free, wild childhood with lots of fun and exploration and, you know, learnt, I guess, how to problem solve in a really amazing way. And I had really a lot of beautiful opportunities, including an incredible education myself. In fact, my mum was my teacher growing up, which I was very, very lucky to have. So you were homeschooled? No, I wasn't. She was my teacher at school. Yeah. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So I went to went to school with her every day and called her Mrs. Chauncey when she was in uh, school. <laughs> yeah, that's cute. So, what makes you smile? You know, what makes you come alive these days? <laughs> oh, look, I am wholeheartedly driven by the impact that education can have on people's lives, mm. and I see. I'm so lucky to see the transformative impact that education can have and, and to have been a part of being able to make that change for children. And I suppose, you know, for me, if you think about a life without education, you really, for many of us, you really can't imagine that. And for me, I guess there's a deep sense of gratitude um, in Uganda for the work that we're doing. And, you know, I'm continually blown away by the deep sense of resilience that I find, you know, over in Uganda, people have nothing no shoes on their feet no electricity no running water they live in mud huts but they all have this deep resilience and a desire to go to school and be educated and a real sense of community and belonging and 
I guess that's what makes me smile. I believe in a life that's full of community and connection and mm. that's what really memories and life is all about. Yeah, that's nice. And can you tell us just about how that all got started? Like can you just take us back to when was it? Like, um, you know, back to when you first got the idea and how did the idea build and, you know, yeah, take us through that course. process. I, I actually um, went from school to university straight away and I was studying arts law at Sydney Uni, which is a fantastic degree because it sort of gave me a really, really wide ranging understanding of the legal world, but also the business world. But when I was halfway through my uni degree, I really got itchy feet to do something and I'd been driven to do something to give back. I went to a great high school that had a very strong service motto and morale. And so mm. I decided to put uni on hold and sign up to teach English to kids in Kenya for six months. Mm. Um, and I went off with a girlfriend to Kenya um, who, you know, we had this amazing time. But, you know, six weeks into that adventure, Kenya erupted into civil war. And, you know, we were 21 years old at the at the time and we really didn't know what to do, but we were evacuated across the border in a very dramatic evacuation um, with armed military with machine guns in a convoy of cars and found ourselves in Uganda. And mm. the organisation that we'd been volunteering with didn't have operations in Uganda, so we needed to sort of roll our sleeves up and figure out what we were going to do with the rest of our time in Africa. I mean, we certainly weren't ready to go home yet. So what we did was um, we started to really look at the education system. Mm. We started to get into the communities and understand the way the communities were operating. And I guess, you know, really the observation from my perspective was that very few organisations were providing a hand up, not a handout. And by mm. that, I mean giving people the skills that they need to lead for themselves. And mm. so we were going into communities and we were finding that lots of Westerners would come through, you know, volunteer for a short period of time and then leave and they would create some sort of dependency, particularly around welfare. So I was just inspired by that time that I spent over in Uganda. I was blown away as I said, by the strength and determination of people who have next to nothing and their resilience and desire to be educated. So I came home and during my period in Kenya, I'd met a dear friend of mine, David Everett, and we decided that we were going to use our skills and resources and time to start School for Life Foundation. Um, Dave was studying international development and I was studying law. So whilst concurrently completing our university degrees, we also started School for Life. Nice. Yeah, cool. And so just on the that uh, educational system, what did you notice that was there that was different to, you know, what, what goes on in Australia? Because you mentioned before yeah. that we we have a different, like I the kids in Australia have a bit of a different attitude to education than what the kids in Uganda did. You know, you mentioned that they appreciate the education. Can you tell us some of the differences within the Within the structure, yeah, I mean, of the huge, as well. huge differences. Um, what you'll find in Uganda is, you know, often you'll have a child walking between five and ten kilometres to get to the mud hut, the classroom that they call school. Mm. Um, the children won't have shoes on their feet. They will have not eaten a meal that day. Um, for very many of them, they won't have a school uniform. They won't have books, pens, or pencils. They won't be sitting mm. down at a desk. For many, they'll have a plastic bag as a school bag. And there'll be a classroom that's overcrowded with more than 100 students, very often with a teacher who doesn't have the credentials to be actually teaching for themselves. For instance, it might be a mum who's trying to help out in the community. And mm. the other challenging 
thing that adds on to the compounding problems are that English is the language of education in Uganda and for very many children, they actually don't speak English at home. So they're mm -hmm. speaking a foreign language when they come to learn. Yeah. So lots of lots of really difficult challenges for them to overcome. But what I noticed was that they want the opportunity to go to school because for so many children, it gives them a chance to be a child. You know, at mm. home, they might have to do hard physical labor, fetching water, walking long distances to do so, but also digging on the field to grow the food that they're going to use to feed their family that night, doing washing, yeah. you know, all sorts of things like that. And I think school for them is a place full of freedom, of opportunity mm. to dream, you know, to think big, to to aspire to be more. Um, and I just think that's just magical and they just love it. And, you know, you go into the school and it's just full of happiness and laughter. And, um, you know, I guess that just blew me away, really. Yeah. Yeah. And do you see that that attitude, that uh, appreciation and gratitude that they have is one of the major ingredients of the student's success? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you've got to want it. I've always said you can't kind of drag the horse to water and make it drink. Um, at mm. the end of the day, you know, the parents want the best for their kids, just like all parents really do universally. Um, but the children recognise that with education, they can go on to be a change maker themselves. You know, mm. they could potentially go on to be a teacher or a doctor or a farmer or whatever it is um, to have the ability to read and write can really change the course of their future and their life. Hmm. And in terms of a curriculum, do you focus on the basics or do you spread it more broadly or how do you approach that? Or is that our dictated from elsewhere? Yeah, our curriculum is the Ugandan curriculum, but we do what's defined as kind of enhancement of the curriculum and the way that we deliver it. So the curriculum, as I said to you, is delivered in English and we abide by the Ministry of Education's requirements, including all of the testing. Um, mm. However, we implement what we describe as active learning methodology, which we're very familiar with in the Western world, rather than a rote learning base of kind of repeat after me, you know, one plus one equals two, one plus one equals mm. two. We're really doing group-based learning. We do things like phonics. We do lots of activities to get the kids involved and engaged in a learning experience so that it's not mm. just a boring place to learn. Yeah. Um, and we've really found it's created such great cut through, particularly with the literacy side of things, when you're talking about phonics and teaching kids how to read and write, mm. um, that's been amazing, but also just really engages their imagination and helps them to critically and creatively think about the world and think about the work that they're actually doing. Yeah, cool. And how have things changed for you now, you know, in the whole yeah. COVID Tremendously, yeah. Look, I mean, on March 18th, I was still in Uganda and um, in a lot of ways I was very lucky because I had some time to prepare with the team and to really get everybody organised and um, to help everybody understand exactly what was going to happen with the global pandemic. So we spent some time in planning and we got organised and ready for the students to be sent home. So the students were sent home on the 20th of March in Uganda went into a country-wide shutdown um, and has been since. So all schools are shut, the borders are shut, and so nobody can move in or out of Uganda. Um, but rather than just kind of calling it a day, we decided that we weren't going to give up. So mm. we 
provided our students with take-home learning materials on a weekly basis, which are delivered by a motorbike. And of course, our kids live in mud huts with no access to electricity. So they're not online learning or doing learning via Zoom or Google Hangouts. But what they are doing is being delivered weekly learning materials. And then the the teachers are actually giving them a call on their parents' mobile phone to work through the work with them. We're also doing mobile um, outreach around provision of food supplies, hygiene and sanitation kits, face masks. Mm. Um, We're setting up hand washing stations in all the communities in which we operate. And we've also repurposed a lot of our team to be working on psychosocial issues. So just ensuring that we've got counsellors out in the field overcoming this deep sense of uncertainty that we're all feeling globally. But, of course, when you don't have access to information on a regular basis and true facts, it can be really overwhelming to be stuck in the midst of a pandemic. So working together with the families to ensure that they've got access to the right types of information mm. and to enable us to support the community rather than leave them behind, which yeah. is what could potentially happen in Africa. Yeah, yeah. I think getting access to the right sorts of information is a challenge for everyone because there's so right. much information out there and some of it, you know, if yeah. you bombard yourself with news 24-7, I think that can be eroding your own uh, well Absolutely. Well. And I think, you know, there's a deep sense of hyperbole and exaggeration as well because that's what sells. Yeah, so, exactly. you know, the media is looking for all the bad stories rather than looking for the good ones. And I think mm. it's really critical that we do balance the views and balance the information that we're taking in, particularly at the moment. I mean, just mm. if anything, for our own mental health and sanity because it is quite overwhelming to only hear negative things being told to you on a constant basis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think we're all learning on the go how to how to handle that. Um, Definitely, better. it certainly wasn't the 2020 that we'd all planned for. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> I did a course at the beginning of this year called uh, 2020 Vision, and uh, yeah, no one had got global pandemic on their their board. No, I, I don't think it even uh, registered on our risk matrix um, until this year. We we certainly did think we were getting shut down by a global pandemic, but no. um, we adapt and I've just been so proud of the way my team, both here in Australia and over in Uganda, has been so determined to continue to do the work that we do. And I think when you're really deeply driven by purpose, that's what happens. You will find mm. a way, no matter how many obstacles stand in your way, you'll find a way forward, which is just amazing. Yes. Yeah. And that's uh, something that I echo with a lot of the people that I work with as well, is that uh, everything around you may have changed, but that core purpose inside you, that thing that makes you, you, and the thing that you have to offer to the world, that hasn't changed. That's still the same. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And you've got to focus on that when the going gets tough and things feel uncertain is just go back to what you stand for and what what drives you and motivates you and just stay really, really focused on that. Don't let all the noise overcome you. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any uh, memories or special moments that kind of capture, you know, that, you know, that mission that you are doing or that you've just found personally rewarding along the way? Oh, I've had many kind of incredible experiences. I guess 31st of January 2011 was probably the best one for me. I guess, you know, over 
the period of 2008 to 2011, I'd been kind of selling a dream and selling an organisation that didn't yet exist. So I'd kind of go into people's offices wearing a suit that I'd borrowed from my mum and ask them to give us some donations so that I could build this school in Uganda. And I remember a lot of people thought I was absolutely crazy and told me to kind of go away and never come back. But, Mm. you know, for those people who did invest in us and, um, you know, did believe in the vision and the dream, you know, the 31st of January was important because the first two classrooms opened for the very first time and the first 80 students came to school with their five teachers and, I guess that's when life really changed because, you know, it was now no longer a dream on a piece of paper. It was a real um, live, you know, program that we were going to have to operate. And the sense of responsibility shifted significantly. We now weren't responsible for just selling a dream, but rather responsible for the futures and outcomes for many, many people and and their families. So Mm. life changed a lot, I guess it was a mixture of elation and fear because I was really excited and happy that my dream had come to fruition. But I was also terrified because I'd never done this before. You know, I'm 21. I, I've never built a school before. I've never run a school. I, I've only just left school. Yeah. Um, but you learn stuff along the way. And so, yeah, I think that day for me stands out as probably one of the most incredible of, of my career journey and my lifetime because, you know, it just it just showed what grit determination can really achieve. Mm. And so you've been going for a while now and been able to, you know, track some of these kids through what's a very significant period of of growing up. Have you seen, you know, or do you hear back from kids after they've left school and, you know, Our students now, the ones that started with us in 2011 are in senior three, which is the equivalent to the Australian year nine. Um, so our high school will continue, obviously, to see them right through. It's yeah. incredible just to watch the growth. I mean, my little babies have now got broken <laughs> voices and they're now way too cool for me. <laughs> um, so it's hilarious to watch because, um, you know, you do feel like you're a kind of, I don't know, quasi-auntie to them in some ways because, you know, you've seen them at the age of four turning up at your school and cut tie shoelaces and have never, you know, owned a piece of brand new clothing. And then you've got Mm. these big kids that are towering over me, um, which isn't hard because I'm five foot two, but, um, you know, and kind of have developed into their own little humans who have dreams and ambitions of their own. And there's nothing more fulfilling for me um, than to just watch a child develop and learn and grow into you know their own change agent and their own being who have their own kind of aspirations and ambitions for themselves so it's immensely rewarding um Mm. and will continue to be and certainly we will be kind of following them through the journey and ensuring that we can kind of get them to the other end of it which is critical at the Mm. moment we are constructing a boarding facility for 600 students at our high school just to continue to be able to provide that holistic educational experience and to be able to continue to ensure that the quality of the education that we're providing is is really high yeah no that's great do you um do you have times that you look back on and i I ask this question to anyone who comes on the podcast you know you don't sort of get to be uh in a position where somebody's calling you successful without having some struggles along the way, you know, some difficult moments where you go, oh my God, I just, I don't know if I can 
keep going. Have you yeah. had those experiences? I mean, you've got to be honest and say that you have a moment like that in every week. Um, yeah. And I don't. I think anybody who says that they don't is probably um, lying in some ways because at times it's, you know, it's incredibly overwhelming. And I think there are times where you sort of, uh, you know, you think everything's going great. And then, for instance, COVID hits and you think, whoa, you know, an example for us is that we host a black tie ball every year. It raises half a million dollars. And of course mm. we couldn't go ahead with that event for 650 people. But, mm. you know, I think sometimes in challenge and in difficulty is the times that we grow and we do find within ourselves what we're capable of. So I've always tried to find those dark times um, as times that will ensure that I grow in different ways. Um, but, you know, of course there've been really tough challenges. There are times where, you know, you can't see a way forward. There are times where, you know, there's been people challenges or there've been issues, you know, at a community level where, you know, we may have um, children who've been victim to, to some abuse. We've had children pass away along the journey. I lost a teacher last year while mm. I was over in Uganda to childbirth. Um, and, you know, these things happen and you just think to yourself, you know, where you're born can have such an impact on the life that you're going to live. I can't imagine, you know, it's very rare that somebody dies of childbirth here in Australia and I've just lost one of my best teachers and my whole community has gone to ground. How do I get through this? I can't see a pathway forward. Mm -hmm. um, but you always find it within yourself to, to find, you know, to find the strength to put one foot in front of the other. And I think that's what life's all about. And that's what business and success is all about is putting one foot in front of the other, even if you don't know the way. Yeah. And um, how has your mindset, you know, shifted in those times? Look, I've always maintained a very positive mindset and I'm a big believer in positive mindset. And I think, you know, I, I had a grandmother uh, who had polio. She was diagnosed with polio when she was nine years old. She was mm. told she'd never walk again, never have children, never ride horses. And, you know, she always told me that the one thing you can control is your own mindset and mm. the power of positivity is really, really critical. So, you know, again, being a bit of a country kid, I guess I've grown up and I've seen bushfires and droughts and, you know, very difficult markets with um, the agriculture and all of that. So I think you kind of have to find within you that determination um, and, yeah, as I say to you, the only thing that we can control is our own mindset. We can't control anything else. So we've got to really get a firm hold on that in order to be able to succeed. Yeah, no, that's really good. Uh, I've seen a lot in terms of um, going through challenges here in Australia with um, schools and how they've had to develop. Um, mm -hmm. How do you preserve a positive culture or how do you, you know, not not just preserve it, but, you know, start a positive culture within your organization you know you've got a bunch of staff that work for you but you've also mm -hmm. got to not only make sure that that um that they're all working well together but that that flows through to to the young people as well so how do you do that yeah i think attracting values driven people is critical um mm. choosing your team well is really important and you know not hiring quickly I think, you know, one person can certainly change and shift the culture quite quickly. So you do want to try and get those hires, those critical hires right. I think for me, you know, 
I have made mistakes along mm. the way and that has affected the culture from time to time, but it's also about how quickly you change that and fix it. Yeah. Um, but it's also really just about continuing to align the team around the purpose. You know, for us, we're there for the kids. We're there to provide quality education to the children and their families, you know, to uplift them and empower them through this amazing gift that is education. So if you're not on the bus, then, you know, we want you off it because we yeah. don't want people standing in the way. And you can do that positively as well. It doesn't have to be horrendous. But I do believe that purpose-driven people attract one another and you do tend to kind of create a bit of a movement or a community around it whether it's internally with the staff with our volunteers who are very much a big part of our team or with our donors who are such strong contributors and are very much a part of the future vision and strategy for the organization yeah that's cool what uh what advice would you give to someone who is uh thinking of you know doing something you know there's lots of (laughs) people that I work with who, you know, they have an idea, but they're feeling, um, you know, I haven't achieved enough or I'm not accomplished enough, or I'm just not oh, look, in a position yeah. to be able to do it. You'll never be ready. Already. <laughs> yeah. You'll never be ready. You'll never know everything. Um, you won't know till you try, you know, go forward with gusto, believe in yourself, What yeah. you know, believe deeply in yourself. If you are passionate, you will be successful. You know, obviously you need a strong work ethic as well. I don't think that it's all just about passion, but if you love what you do, you will, you won't wake up every day unhappy. You'll wake up every day with, you know, a huge desire to continue to pursue your ambition. And so just do it. I don't think, you know, don't think too much about it. Don't think about what could go wrong. Think about what could go right and throw yourself in the deep end because, you know, as I said, it's in those uncomfortable times that you grow and, and it's just so rewarding. I couldn't, I couldn't attest more to the work that I do at school for life. Yeah. Great. Where can people find you? You're doing an amazing thing. There's obviously going to be people, um, listening to this that say, wow, I want to, I want to get behind that. Um, where can people, you know, get in touch with you and find out more about what you do and and get behind you and support you? Yeah, everyone can jump online at www.schoolforlife.org.au or follow us on Instagram, which is School for Life Foundation. And of course, Facebook, uh, also School for Life Foundation. Um, We'd love your support. Sponsoring a child is probably one of the best ways that you can make a difference. It costs $52 a month to sponsor a child and you can truly transform that child's life through education. Yeah, that's great. And we'll definitely include those links uh, just below wherever you're listening to uh, this podcast. So make sure you go and um, check out the work that Annabelle is doing and School for Life. Annabelle, you're doing amazing stuff. You are a successful young woman, you know, making a difference for these kids. Thank you so much for the work that you do. And thank you for spending some time with us here on The Blueprint. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Have a lovely afternoon. Take care. And there you have it. What an awesome conversation with uh, a lady who's doing some awesome things around the world. Uh, There's so much rich content there, so many nuggets of wisdom that she was able to share. We've got so much to learn from people like Annabelle. Uh, She was a little bit shy at the beginning, and I think she's such a humble lady that, uh, you know, me building her up in the beginning with the introduction might have put her off a little bit. But there were several things that struck me. And one of those is that, you know, school is an opportunity to be a child. You know, here, I think that uh, 
kids are, are thrown into to school and um, I work per, primarily in the high school setting and I see that kids are being asked to do things that perhaps uh, they're not quite ready for. And so that idea of just school being an opportunity to escape and to, to go and uh, experience the fun and the play of being a child I thought was really wonderful. I noticed that her COVID response was really, really different for us in the West. You know, for us in the West, we, we're just going to online learning primarily, but they don't have that. So they've had to come up with other solutions and, you know, doing a, a new version of distance ed, delivering lessons by motorbike and that sort of thing. Again, exemplifying the innovation and the creative way that you can come up with solutions uh, when you have to. And one of the other things that I loved that she said is that children recognize that through education, the children that go to school for life, they recognize that through education, they can become change makers themselves. And I absolutely love that quote. They recognize that through education, they can become change makers themselves. And I think that embodies, you know, one of the key principles of education. And that is kids don't necessarily become what we tell them to be, but they become who we are. You know, we model for them. They follow in our footsteps. And how lucky are those kids in Uganda to have someone so inspirational as Annabelle as their role model? And Annabelle described their education as something that engages the imagination, creates critical and creative thinkers. And I think that is something that is universal, something that we can all try to foster more of in the way that we do education. So thank you very much for tuning into this episode. Just to let you know that this episode is sponsored by the Dangerous Minds course. The Dangerous Minds course is a five module program helping you and your family to improve your relationships, your communication skills, your positivity, and your capacity for learning. So make sure you go and check that out. You can find out more of that at www.blueprintlifeacademy.com.au forward slash dangerous minds. Thank you very much for joining me here on the podcast today. Bye for now.